0: Everyone knows it's growing, the number of contracts the Defense Department is awarding using other transaction agreements or OTAs. Congress is watching. Contractors are wary. So just how big is it? Joining me with results of detailed research, the Senior Vice President for Strategy and Analysis at Galvini, Jim Mitri. Mr. Mitri, good to have you on.
1: Tom, thanks very much. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: First of all, what made you look at the whole OTA question?
1: Last year, the Defense Department put out a new strategy, the National Defense Strategy and it prioritizes strategic competition with China and Russia as the primary concern for U.S. national security. The challenge here, however, is that for us to compete against China and Russia, we need to ensure that we have an effective military advantage over them uh, in order to deter war or deter them from using their military in a coercive manner. And that requires the Department of Defense to find a way to be much more innovative and developing much more innovative capabilities than it currently possesses. This issue is, is what led us to look at the OTAs, um, because if you actually jump back for a minute and look at the history of how the department has maintained its military advantage in great power competitions, um, it was very different situation during the Cold War. Back then, when we were worried primarily about the Soviet Union, the Department of Defense R&D budget, research and development budget in 1960, actually accounted for about one-third of all of the world's investments in research and development, which on the one hand is remarkable. On the other, perhaps, therefore, it's not surprising that a lot of the key technologies that have shaped our modern economy actually came out of the Department of Defense. And this is things like the DARPA net, which was the predecessor to the Internet, and global positioning system. For example.
0: Sure, but what does all that have what, to do with procurement and the methodologies they use outside of the DFAR today?
1: Well, the reason why it matters is that if you look at the data in 2016, for example, uh, the Defense Department's research and development budget as a total accounted for about 3.7% of all of global R&D. What's happening is that the innovation is much greater now in the private sector and in academia than it is within the military, So the the game is shifted from the Cold War. Whichever uh, military has the ability to develop its best internal technology to which military can acquire relevant technologies from the private sector and find a military application for it. The reason why that matters for OTAs is because the current department's acquisition system is not set up to find relevant technologies from the private sector and find a military application for them. That's actually something, by the way, the Chinese are very good at. They have a national civil-military fusion strategy that's intended to do exactly that: to have the civilian centers pass on the key technologies into their military. Um, and so, from a from a long-term competitive perspective, we have a we have a real challenge here.
0: The OTA authority itself uh, didn't start with DoD. It started on the civilian no, side. It- And it's primarily aimed at the acquisition of prototypes.
1: Not exclusively. So it's aimed at the acquisition of uh, relevant technologies that can relate to research and development. And it was just um, a little bit later on in the process or in the the timeline where the department had the ability to expand in the prototypes. So there's a big uptick in the department's use of OTAs following uh, a change in the legislation that actually allowed the department to use it for prototyping. That was in 2015. And so now what we've seen is a huge uptick over the past seven years where its use of OTAs is growing at over 50% compound annual growth rate.
0: We're speaking with Jim Mitri. He's the Senior Vice President for Strategy and Analysis at Govini. And is there anything in the enabling legislation or the rules relating to OTA? that specify the type of company eligible for OTAs, or can they go to anyone as long as they're in that research and development prototyping type of uh, area?
1: So they're very much intended to help the department contract with non-traditional defense contractors. And the idea here is these are vehicles that allow the department to get relevant technologies. How is it the department can actually work with some of the smart folks out in tech startups that are at the leading edge of technological development, the challenge, though, is how you come up with a metric to evaluate whether or not a company is going to be innovative. That's by necessity going to be flawed in some way. Um, so, so the metric that Congress has put out is this definition called a national defense, uh, excuse me, called a non-traditional defense contractor, and it's not a wonderful definition. Um, essentially, by the department's own own uh, standard, uh, the definition is so narrow that a large number of entities will fall into the category, including nearly all small business concerns and even those firms that work exclusively with DOD.
0: So that means under the right circumstances, Boeing, Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, Perspecta could all be eligible for OTAs and in fact have gotten them.
1: That's right. Well, tell us what else you found.
0: I mean, uh, you said the compound annual growth rate of OTAs is pretty large. What are some of the other specifics from your deep dive look?
1: last year in FY the fiscal year 2018 the total amount of investment into OTAs was 3.4 billion dollars so it is a non-trivial amount of money going into the space and on the one hand that's very good because it's the department really making an effort to try to find a way to work with innovative companies and get access to some of the leading edge technologies Uh, on the other hand this is a departure from the traditional contracting mechanisms and so that provides less oversight for congress to see what's actually going on and and, uh, whether or not the taxpayers money is being used appropriately so what we've recommended within our report is that the department think through a wider range of criteria beyond just whether or not a company is a non-traditional defense contractor to determine if in fact these investments are optimized at getting access to innovative technologies.
0: And Govini is, of course, known for being able to do data analysis and data mining in the federal government. But if you're not Govini, does the DOD do a good job, do you feel, of making transparent all of the OTA deals, why they went to certain companies, the companies they went to, and the dollars involved?
1: It's an uneven story there. In certain respects, yes. In certain respects, the data could be a lot better. Um, So it, it just kind of depends uh, but I would say that there's plenty of room for improvement. Uh, but the, the, the trick really is how is it the department can get the most out of this acquisition tool. Uh, because as as the investment in it grows, Congress is going to get increasingly interested to understand where this money is going. And it's really in the department's best interest to try to focus these investments as much as possible on getting their key technologies out of the private sector.
0: And given what you said, the fact that the definition of companies that are eligible is all is vague, were you able to get some conclusion as to whether OTAs are, in fact, generally going to non-traditional contractors?
1: Yes. The money is going to non-traditional defense contractors. The, the challenge, though, is that the term non-traditional defense contractor is very broad, and allows a range of different companies to fall under that label. So yes, it's going to non-traditional defense contractors. What's unclear is whether or not it's actually going to innovative companies, um, and companies that the department doesn't traditionally work with. And that's where the research finds that that actually may not be the case. Um, We identified a couple of alternative criteria that the department should consider before determining where its OTA dollars should go. And one of them, for example, is geographic place of performance of the contract. As you know very well, the nation has high-tech hubs, you know, certain cities where you have a mix of academics and uh, leading-edge companies that are at the forefront of developing a particular technology. It can be mobile computing in Silicon Valley, robotics in Pittsburgh, biomedical technology in Boston. And if you were in the Department of Defense trying to find a way to get access to those types of technologies, one would imagine that a lot of these OTAs would actually target exactly those types of uh, uh, high-tech hubs. But the data suggests that it's not, uh, that there's a little bit of a disconnect between where the OTA dollars are going and where some of these centers of innovation are.
0: So instead of necessarily always going to innovative companies in different areas. Sounds like a lot of the money is going to regular companies who the department thinks is doing innovative things.
1: That's right. So that, that is what the data suggests.
0: Dimitri is the Senior Vice President for Strategy and Analysis at Govini. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: We'll post a link to more information and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.